Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people from to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. Stories are so important to me because they are such a great avenue for learning. Stories come from all different types of identities, you know, ranging from different ages, different ethnicities, different genders, religions, and experiences. When we're not open to stories from any of these types of identities, we limit our ability to learn and grow in whatever time on earth that we have. I never want to stop learning and growing, and that is why I'm excited to uh, talk with Summer Fairley today. She is our youngest guest ever on Autism Stories, but someone each one of us can learn a lot from. Summer talks with us about what humans can learn from animals, how people can do a better job of supporting younger autistic voices, as well as talking about so much more with me. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Summer, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for having me here. I wanted to start out and learn um, where does your story in the autistic community begin? Well, I first started advocating for more inclusive social environments and social spaces when I was about nine years old when I observed other families struggling at community events because their needs weren't being met. And I saw families like mine have to leave events, unable to create family memories or even just have a positive time. And I saw people leave and be judged. And I just thought that it wasn't right and that are things, there are things that we can do to stop that happening. So I went ahead and did it. I love that you see you see you see some you see a problem in the world and just try try to make try to do something about it. So, for our listeners that might not be familiar with you, um, I think they're going to um, learn uh, pretty quickly. Uh, you have fantastic insight for someone who's fourteen years old, or for that matter, of any age. I'm wondering, where do you have a sense of where that insight kind of comes from? Well, first off, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Makes me happy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd say it comes from a number of places. For example, the fact that I'm highly in tune with the emotions of others around me and from a young age being extremely observant watching the animals in the backyard or the other kids in the playground and linking those sorts of things and being able to see the perspectives of others from having a late-diagnosed mother and two autistic brothers. I've got a lot of the perspectives close to me all the time, consistently. And I say a big part of that is definitely just having an autistic parent who is late-diagnosed 
which is amazing, but it's also very challenging because it's really good to have a parent that understands you and your point of view, but it can be very difficult when that parent sometimes can't help you navigate the world because they're still trying to understand it themselves and lots of things that you need help with, they need help with too. We all need support and validation, but way too often for autistics, this is very much lacking. So you received national and international attention for being the world's first 10-year-old to write a program using chickens to develop social understanding for neurodivergent uh, folks. What can, in your opinion, humans learn from, from chickens to better socially support neurodivergent people? Well, if you look at animals and humans, to start off with, the whole base is that they have similar needs and even similar social trends and interactions. So, for example, there's the social hierarchy. They have individual personalities and preferences, and they go off in groups. But sometimes they even want time alone. And it's similar to just downscaling the world and everything that's in it. And the group in the backyard creates its own sort of ecosystem or lifestyle in order to survive with what they're given. And they use all these interesting things to their advantage and even to just keep them entertained. And it's amazing, the fact that they're so intellectual, but they're so overlooked because they can't speak English back to us. And I think overall, the best thing we could learn from them is to just be nicer to each other and to be more understanding of each other's needs. The others around you, having that understanding of who they are, better supporting them to achieve higher and overall making the world higher achieving and just a better place to be in. Beyond chickens, I'm wondering what are some things you love or would consider your passions? Well, animals in general, they're amazing. They're mm -hmm. spectacular. And they're so intriguing. And I'd say I generally enjoy building connections with my family and my community, making a, a better and more inclusive environment. And in general, I guess... I'm passionate about making the world a better place and having more people doing it is going to make it happen faster and so I guess I'm just trying to do my part and inspire others to do theirs too. A couple of years ago at 12 years old you were on national TV in Australia and said your goal was to break down autistic stereotypes. What are some of these stereotypes that you um, hope, um, you know, don't exist very much going into the future? The idea that each autistic is 100% identical in how it affects their life, or the fact that we don't feel general emotion or understand that, or even the fact that some people think we're either extremely intelligent, knowing everything across every board possible, or know absolutely nothing. And they, I don't know where they got the idea that there isn't like an in-between there, because there's, there's a huge gap there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> absolutely. Now, you were talking about um, earlier about making your hope to make more inclusive events. Do you have suggestions that to make events more inclusive for, for yourself or for other autistics? 
The way I came up with all of my inclusion ideas was that it's problems that I myself have had, people in my family have had, or people I've observed have had, and I think of solutions for the problems because lots of them seem so simple and seem like that shouldn't have to affect your life and you shouldn't have to live by those things. You should just be able to implement something and fix it really easily. For example, uh, one of the things I did was I provided an enclosed marquee, which was a self-regulation space, a time to recenter and just relax. And if you want, you can be alone in there and you can be there and do what you want without judgment or providing sensory bags that had noise-canceling headphones, things like sunglasses and fidgets, so that you, you didn't get overwhelmed by certain things or as quickly, and you could stay there for longer and enjoy your time better. So I'm wondering about the, you know, the sensory bags, um, in the sense that, you know, I... My, myself, yeah, I think about those things just because I'm so integrated into those things, but... What was kind of the um, response from from kids, families about the sense the sensory bags? It was a very, it was one of the most popular ideas, and I think the biggest thing that I could give to that is quite simply that saying it's something that I do myself. Even I have a bag, and I just put things that I feel like I need when going out in there. And I just take around my own sensory bag that I've made. And it's got it's got the fidgets, it's got the sunglasses, it's got the headphones. And I think that's the best way to do it, really. Just sort of make your own. So it's tailored to the things that you like and the fidgets, for example, that you like to use. So I, I find that often uh, you can learn as much from people younger than you than those your own age or older. So I, I, And I read something that you said that made me think about this in in regards to that there's no point in empowering young autistic voices to then not prepare to listen to them, which I love you saying that. How can people, do you feel like, do a better job of showing um, young autistic voices that they actually are listening? Well, to start off with, by actually taking what we're saying into consideration, which means actually acting or building on the idea, responding to it, and I guess that general statement meant that if I'm to advocate for something that I need or I know that somebody else needs, to actually listen to it. For example, if someone were to have high anxiety at school in class and need to be able to go for a walk to get a drink and just relax, only to be told, no, that doesn't make sense. How would that calm you down? to actually listen rather than forcing the person to mask their anxiety, which later on will affect their mental state, deteriorating it over time. It's the fact that when you empower the voices, you've got to be prepared to listen and generally just take into consideration what they're saying because it's from their personal perspective. It, lots of the ideas are that their lived experience, their things that are needed, things that can be evolved into something so much bigger and better than themselves or anything else out there. And it's what the community needs. It's just, I think it's one of the most important things because so many people are told that they need to speak up, 
but the thing is they're just not listening. Also, I'm homeschooled. Definitely talk about that. Uh, but what I mean, what is usually kind of like the response? Um, you know, you're you seem you're a very thoughtful person, and you know, by talking to you, if you're if you're telling me something, I'm definitely going to be listening and really trying to apply that if possible. So, what is the response you get? You know, in these types of situations, I think it's just a lot of people who don't understand and. With that comes people who aren't willing to learn or listen. And I think that's where the major problem is. When you're empowered to speak, but they just don't understand it and don't care to try and understand it. And so you mentioned that you're homeschooled. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that experience. Has that uh, been a good thing for you? What would you say um, have been like the positives of that experience? It's been really good for my mental health because it's taking out a lot of the most stressful parts and I have an in- interest-based learning style, meaning that the subjects that I'm taught are based around things that I enjoy so it's easier to pay attention and actually listen. But also I want to put in there that a lot of people don't understand what they can't see or what they personally don't feel. And I think that's where all of the miscommunication really comes from. The inability to understand things that you haven't felt before. Uh, A lack of empathy? Just a little bit. Just a little little bit. (laughs) So, so for me, when I was in school, when there were subjects I was not interested in, it was very difficult for me. So what are some of the, the subjects that like you get excited about? I'm a big fan of math. I like math. And um, I loved my digital technologies class, which is uh, digital technologies, you know, <laughs> based around um, it was all filmmaking at the time that I found really fun. And... I like doing biology, the biology side of science, and the more interactive hands-on learning, I just find the most fun, rather than sitting down and having a teacher just talk a bunch, to actually go out and do the thing for yourself outdoors, rather than learning how to navigate actually going outside and finding something, for example, you know? Yeah. Rather than talking about the elemental interactions, going and mixing them, and hopefully not blowing everything up in the process. Yeah, and a lot of it is actually based off things you do in your life every day that you're learning from. For example, the general mathematics that you do every day, that's counted now. That's not just sort of an extra thing on top that you have to do. Kind of uh, like there, there's a, there's a, there, you understand the reason why you're learning that thing. Yes, yes, which gives it a bit more meaning behind it leaving you with a bit more energy to complete it, a bit more reasoning. Absolutely. Now, you know, finding balance, you know, for all of us can be difficult, especially when you're advocating for others. You know, you know, this advocacy, you know, I can definitely say can uplift you, but at the same time, it can be, I would say, maybe emotionally draining as well. What are some of the things you do to kind of care for yourself while trying to uplift so many others? Well, to start off with, believe it or not, I'm not the most confident person when it comes to doing things for myself. 
So I will say lots of the time that I'm advocating for others' needs, I'm also speaking on a large behalf of myself or how I personally feel too. And I think one that gives me a lot more energy to do it. And I find so much joy in sharing my Facebook posts, for example, or knowing that I've helped somebody else. It, it gives me a reason behind it and it makes me feel a lot better about doing it. It makes it a lot less draining of an activity because when you get to the end, you know that you've just improved somebody's life. doesn't matter by how much, how little you've done something good and that's the best thing you can do in the world. Now, um, beyond this um, interview, I mean, you mentioned about Facebook posts and things like that. How can people follow you and continue to um, hear your words of wisdom? Well, I have a Facebook page called Summer Farrelly, believe it or not, my name. Creative <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> uh, I have an Instagram under Autistic Perspectives. I have a web page called summerfarrelly.com.au. And I also have a business called Autistic Perspectives, the internet. And what can you tell people about Autistic Perspectives? At the moment, it's obviously my business name. And I guess for the moment, I'm just building on it and trying to work out what I actually want it to be and what I want it to include. But it's my way of spreading the knowledge and my way of spreading awareness to help others and to improve the general and anything I physically can, really. Well, I, I definitely look forward to paying attention to autistic perspectives in the future and seeing what, what comes of it. You know, Summer, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for uh, making time for, for me today. Thank you for having me today. Thanks so much to Summer for the conversation. To learn more about Summer, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. If you'd like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can coach you to reduce your daily overwhelm and to get the things you want in your life, then book a Zoom call with me today. A link to book the call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. I certainly hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be so much appreciated. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will discuss the neurodivergent experience in goth culture. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.